Hello, I'm Brent Siddle, and welcome back to the God Story Podcast. And I'm joined once again today by my co-host, Ian Reid Rido from the King's Grace Presbyterian Church in Palmerston, North New Zealand. Rido, hi to you. Hi, how are we? Uh, I'm all right. <laughs> okay, it's a bit cold this morning. And our, today our very special guest on the show is Jennifer Rosner, the author of this new IVP book called Finding Messiah, A Journey into the Jewishness of the Gospel. And I quote from the publicity, Jesus was Jewish and his Jewish identity informed every aspect of his work, words and witness. Jennifer Rosner, a scholar of Jewish-Christian relations, takes us on a personal and corporate journey into the Jewish roots of Christian faith and practice. And indeed she does, and it's a fascinating read. She'd had a great life. Jennifer is Affiliate Assistant Professor of Systematic Theology at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California, where she completed her PhD on the relationship between Judaism and Christianity. And Jennifer joins myself and Rido now. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, so nice to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you with us. An, an incredible journey, bit of a lame opening question, but can you describe to us something of your journey as a Messianic Jewish person? Yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. It's been it's been a bit of a winding journey. I was raised in a Jewish home. Both of my parents are Jewish and were raised in the Jewish community in Los Angeles. They moved to a small town in Northern California when they got married. So I was raised with a, a fairly strong sense of my Jewish identity, but not a lot of Jewish community to speak of. But we practiced Judaism in the home and certain Jewish holidays. And then I went off to college um, at a large public state school in California, where it just so happened that all of my friends were Christians. And it was a time at this particular school where um, just a lot of Christians were there. The Christian ministries were growing um, and so actually kind of for the first time in my life, I heard the gospel, like I learned of this person, Jesus, and I was fascinated and intrigued. And I started attending church because I simply didn't like being the only kid in the dorms on a Sunday morning. That's how many Christians I was surrounded by. Um, and I started attending campus crusade meetings and I just, you know, college for me was these years of searching as I think it is for many students in, in undergraduate college programs. And so at the end of my college years, I became a follower of Jesus and I just had no idea what to do with the Jewish piece. None of my friends were Jewish and the Jewish friends that I did have were quite secular and weren't interested in the same kinds of theological conversations that I was, you know, kind of eating up at that point. And so I was a political science major in, in uh, college and I was planning to go to law school and I scrapped the plan to go to law school and instead went to divinity school at Yale Divinity School where I got my MDiv and just had, you know, three years to dive into biblical texts and biblical languages and, you know, church history and theology and, and just loved it. And it was actually toward the end of my time at Yale that the Jewish part of my identity resurfaced. I mean, I had just gone into the church world and started living like all my Christian friends, which was great, but it became evident to me that I had sort of left this really important piece of myself and my identity behind and so I went, I came back to California after that to pursue my PhD at Fuller Seminary. And it was during those doctoral years that I really began to wade into what does it look like to be Jewish and a follower of Jesus? And I um, very fortunately um, was introduced to Mark Kinzer, who is probably the world's leading Messianic Jewish theologian. And he kind of took me under his wing and, and brought me into these incredible circles of community and, and scholarship. And so ever since then, it's been, as you said, this, this kind of messianic Jewish journey, which is sort of how I describe myself now. 
And it's very rich, but it's also very challenging because it's this in-between existence Mm. trying to kind of straddle these religious communities that for a number of reasons have defined themselves in mutual exclusion to one another over the past, you know, 1700 years. And so there's a lot of pushback and there's a lot of, you know, tensions and, and exclusion in certain ways. You know, I write about some things in the book, painful experiences, but it's also very rich to, to kind of feel ownership of both Judaism and Christianity in, in very, very meaningful ways. Yes, indeed, I can imagine so. And uh, how has the Jewish community reacted to you as a messianic you know, Jewish person? Yeah, it's been it's been varied. I'll say that. I mean, there's there's it, it really just depends on on the the Jewish community or the Jewish individual. Um, I've had some really amazing friendships. Um, you know, when I was in my doctoral program with Jewish seminarians, you know, I've I've been involved with different kind of iterations of Jewish Christian dialogue over the years, which is a particularly tricky place for a Messianic Jew because Jewish Christian dialogue tends to rely upon sort of firm and known boundaries between the two communities. But there's also those who are very open to the contribution of Messianic Jews. And in fact, from the Jewish side, sort of pushing for more involvement among Messianic Jews, recognizing that there's something historically significant about Messianic Judaism. I mean, that's that's sort of the, it's, it's a bit anachronistic to use the terms, but that's what we're talking about in the New Testament, right? Jesus is Jewish, his early followers are Jewish. And so if we're able to kind of get past the history and the hostility between the two communities, there's actually something quite significant there that I think in some way mirrors the, the New Testament community that we read about in the gospels, for example. Yeah, it's fascinating. How has the Christian community responded to your Messianic Jewish background? Yeah, again, it's varied. Um, I mean, there's those Christians who are fascinated by it. I've, I've, come, I've come across a lot of Christians and I teach a lot of Christians, uh, many of whom kind of have a sense that, you know, Christianity has something to do with Judaism, but aren't quite sure how those pieces fit together. And so they're fascinated to meet someone who's Jewish and follows Jesus and, you know, has a different perspective on, on texts and on scripture and theology. Um, and there's also those Christians, I think, who are quite suspicious, like, why would you want to hold on to Judaism? And I think um, that that sort of plays into certain ways of understanding the Bible, right? Maybe, maybe, people who think that Paul left Judaism behind would then wonder why anybody would kind of want to hold on to what is often perceived as like these dusty legalistic, you know, works righteousness sort of system. So there's some confusion there. And it's, and it's, I, I like kind of poking at those categories and saying, well, that's not how the Jewish community experiences Torah or, you know, Jewish life and practice. Um, so again, very mixed responses, I would say, on, on both sides from the Jewish community and the Christian community. But I would, I think in general, there's tending to be more openness as Messianic Judaism is becoming more of a well-known entity and in many ways more of an academically respectable entity, which is kind of a newer thing, I would say, for the Messianic Jewish movement. So hopefully we're, we're kind of heading on a good trajectory here. Yes, you mentioned the Apostle Paul. How did he speak of Gentile Christians, interestingly? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting. And, and we're living in, in interesting times where, you know, there's there's all these new readings of Paul popping up and and this kind of Lutheran reading of Paul that kind of carried the day for hundreds of years, for 400 years has been challenged. You know, this Lutheran reading where Luther, who has this radical break with the Catholic Church, reads his story back into Paul and 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 reads Paul as though Paul had this radical break with Judaism. And that sent, tends to just be the way that Paul has been understood. And in the last 50, 60 years, you get these new readings of Paul. You have this whole camp called Paul within Judaism. 
And that becomes a really interesting question is who is Paul's audience when he's saying things that sound negative about the Torah? And in so many cases in Paul's letter, it's, it's, it's amazing to me sort of reading Paul through this newer lens. He's talking to Gentiles and he's, he's understanding Gentiles as this, as this new category as those who are grafted in to God's existing covenant with the people of Israel and who, as we read about in Acts 15, are not required to take on Jewish practices. So you have the Judaizers who are telling these Gentile converts that they need to live as Jews. And Paul is saying, no, 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 that's not it. Like the spirit came on Gentiles as Gentiles. And so you don't need to live as Jews. But I think all too often we understand Paul as denouncing Torah to Jews, which I think is not what he was doing. I think he's talking to Gentiles and he's he's discouraging them from feeling the need to take on Jewish practices and a Jewish lifestyle. And it, and it really, you know, makes a difference in how we read Paul's letters, depending on, you know, in some ways our own, you know, presuppositions as we come to the text. Mm. Paul refers to Gentiles as branches grafted onto Israel, mm-hmm. which is a very special mm-hmm. way of describing the Gentile Christian community, isn't it? Rita, mm-hmm. I just want to bring you in quickly here. Your response to, to what Jen's just said? Well, um, yeah, I think there's so much that we can learn and kind of rethink uh, in different ways about you know, how, what does it look like to be the church, really, as well? And, and what, my question is kind of what does it look like? What do you think it looks like now? You know, what can we learn kind of particularly from this movement, kind of new movement of Messianic Judaism? What, what mm-hmm. does the whole church need to kind of learn from that? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind, and I teach classes on anti-Semitism and on Christian anti-Semitism, which interestingly, many Christians aren't aware of this long history of hostility and, 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 and atrocities really between the Christian community and the Jewish community. Um, and so I think there's a healing that needs to take place there. And I think the more that Christians are able to wrestle with the Jewishness of their faith, the Jewishness of Jesus, the Jewishness of the New Testament. I, I, I sort of imagine like a drawing near, you know, as we see in the New Testament, I think that that what was intended, uh, you know, this grafting in language is Christians kind of being joined together with, with the people of Israel as, as together God's covenant people. And that's really, I think, one of the tragedies over the centuries is that that togetherness has been lost and has been replaced by, by a hostility and, and kind of a jostling for, you know, favor and, 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 and this mutual exclusion, exclusionary definition, self-definition between these communities. And so I, I sort of, I, I like to challenge Christians to, 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 to wonder what it means that, that they have something to do with Jews and Judaism just by virtue of being followers of Jesus that may have been erased in, in large part throughout history. Um, But, but there's, there's a connection between the two communities. You know, John Howard Yoder, the Christian ethicist calls Judaism a non non Christian religion. Like you can't just lump it together with Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism. It's in its own category and the relationship between Christians and Jews there's no one, it's a non-analogous relationship. And I don't think most Christians would think of it that way. And yet I think part of what it means to be a Christian again, is to be joined together with the people of Israel. So I think it, it just in the terms that we use to think of the communities and the categories that we employ, I think a lot of that needs to be revisited. And I think it plays out in Christian theology. I think it plays out in every area of Christian theology, which has been developed 
in this contradistinction mode over against Judaism. And so I argue in my first book, which is called Healing the Schism, that really every area of Christian theology needs to be rethought in light of God's ongoing covenant with Israel. So from my perspective, the implications are very far reaching of, of, you know, of your question and, and about how I think it ought to impact the church. Yes, you mentioned anti-Semitism. This was brought home dramatically to me, shockingly to me, actually, when I lived in England and I did mm. a series of radio interviews uh, on the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And I was very privileged to meet and interview Ben Helfgott, who mm-hmm. had survived Auschwitz, Treblinka and Sobibor, I think, as a young mm. man, champion weight, became a champion weightlifter. And we mm. sat on his couch in his flat in London and he turned to me and he said, I said, what, you know, what was the cause of the Holocaust? What was it? And he said, Christianity. And I was shocked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he then began to unravel and explain to me how, as a small boy in Poland, he had been ridiculed, abused, attacked, vilified, mm-hmm. just in his little community by mm-hmm. Christian people, Christian children and Christian people, and how that history of anti-Semitism had built and built in Europe at, until mm-hmm. the point it got to in the 1930s. And I was shattered. Mm-hmm. I was absolutely shocked. And I said to him with tears in my eyes, Mr. Helfgott, I said, this is nothing, to, this anti-Semitism has nothing to do with me and nothing to do with where I come from. Mm-hmm. Then I went away and thought, but it is everything to do with us. Mm-hmm. It has been everything mm-hmm. to do with the church. Mm-hmm. You, know, you mentioned Luther. And uh, I was, my next question was going to be, how did Christian anti-Judaism gain momentum through the Middle Ages? Mm-hmm. Because that's critical too, isn't it? Coming into the mm-hmm. Reformation. Mm. Yeah, it is. I mean, it goes back to really the second century with the church fathers who, again, for these different historical reasons, I mean, you, you have, I mean, I think one of the key factors is these Jewish revolts against the Roman Empire, which increasingly makes it a liability for the Christian community to be affiliated with the Jewish community. And at the same time, you have the gospel growing, growing at a, at a really remarkable rate among Gentiles. You know, you have Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. He does a great job, right? There's all these Gentile Christians and it's increasingly becoming a liability for them to affiliate with Judaism, which is, you know, having this troubled relationship with the Roman empire. And you see this in the writings of the church fathers who are, who say, you know, Ignatius of Antioch, for example, says it is monstrous to, to practice Judaism and to speak of Jesus Christ. Like he's already, um, talking of these mutually exclusive categories that uh, if we look at the documents, it's very clear that the reality on the ground at that point was still very mixed. Like the reason that the church fathers were having to speak so strongly against this and to sort of try to draw this really clear line in the sand is because there wasn't a clear line in the sand. And, and in doing in this very strong language, they're, they're working to create the distinctions that eventually become very clear. Um, and so then you can kind of fast forward to the Council of Nicaea in 325. I mean, many Christians are familiar with the Nicene Creed. What not as many Christians are familiar of is, is the kind of the backstory and the shadow side of that, where you have Constantine, this Christian emperor who's in, in the business of Christianizing the Roman Empire. And, and at the Council of Nicaea, you get the definitive split between Easter and Passover. Again, this, this real clear wedge between the two communities. You begin to have the institutionalization of Sunday as the Christian day of worship, which does go back to the New Testament, but now it's become politicized as an intentional move away from Judaism. And again, you can just, you can track it through Augustine's doctrine of the Jews was very influential um, and sort of carried the day. And, and, and we could march forward, as you said, to Luther, who 
have this incredible impact in church history and is sort of celebrated as this hero for good reason. And again, what many don't talk about is this terrible shadow side of Luther's thought that he had really horrible things to say about the Jews. And he became more anti-Semitic as his life went Mm -hmm. on. So at the end of his life, he writes this, this tractate on the Jews and their lies, which, which basically Hitler will just draw directly from in the Holocaust. I mean, I show my students these um, Nazi propaganda posters of, of Luther with a swastika and this kind of slogan of how Hitler is just employing and, and twisting to be fair, but employing Lutheran theology in a way that the German, you know, the Germans were very familiar with that, that, that was, that was the theology that, that they had been born and bred on. And it's interesting what you mentioned, because I think a lot of Christians would, would think it's, it's, it's shocking to associate the Holocaust with Christianity, but for Jews, hmm. that's exactly what it was. Exactly it was the, yes. Right. And so I think, you know, when we talk about Jewish Christian relations and Jewish perceptions of Jesus, I mean, that's exactly the interview that you described is exactly what comes to mind for Jews. And Christianity is this terrifying threat. Mm. And Jews know about the medieval pogroms and the, you know, this very dark shadow side of of Christian theology that a lot of Christians are are unaware of, which I I think is why it's so important to be having these conversations Mm. So that Christians can understand how the Christian faith has been perceived by the Jews over the centuries and, and what it means to a Jewish person to, to think about Christianity. It's not what Christians think about when they think about Christianity. Not at all. And that's come home to me through many conversations over the years. The shocking to me view of Christianity that most of the Jewish folk I've spoken to have it said mm-hmm. to me very, very greatly. Why does the fact that Jesus was Jewish matter? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think that it's all too often that we we imagine um, the biblical story as either sort of starting with Jesus or when we preach the gospel, you know, we talk about this guy named Jesus, but, the, but, but he had a history, he had a context. He was Israel's foretold Messiah and understanding Jesus in the context of the people of Israel, in the history of the people of Israel, according to the prophecies of of the prophets of Israel, there's this whole broader context that I think is often misunderstood or cast aside. I think a lot of Christians aren't totally sure what to do with the Old Testaments. Um, There's this common perception that the God of the Old Testament is kind of this violent um, you know, wrathful God. And then we have this totally different portrait. I mean, this is a Christian heresy, by the way, you know, that, that you have these two different gods, but it's a pretty common trope in Christian theology and understanding. Um, and I think we need to push against that. I think we need to push towards the unity of this one story. You know, our Bibles from Genesis to Revelation tell the singular story of the God of Israel and his actions with humanity. And I think when we somehow extract Jesus from that larger context, we miss these really key markers of what his ministry and his mission was all about. And and I would argue that you can really only understand the power of Jesus in this story and in this context, which I, which I think all too often is missed. And, And then we sort of get these 
Jesus's that, 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 you know, have these different features, these, you know, sometimes it, it, it's Jesus is in our own image, right? And we, we kind of do away with the things that don't really make sense or that seem sort of strange about the text. And I don't, I, I, I don't think we should, we should do that. I think, I think it's, I think it's, it's a distortion. And, 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 and interestingly, this distortion is the Jesus that's been preached to the Jewish people over the centuries, right? A Jesus, the Jesus has been preached to the Jewish, to the Jewish people is a Jesus who has been extracted from this Jewish context and who calls them out of this Jewish context. So um, it's not a huge wonder why many Jews over the centuries have reject, have quote unquote rejected Jesus, because I think we need to ask, well, what, who's the Jesus that's been preached to them? Certainly not the Jesus who, who is good news for the Jewish people, who is the foretold Messiah of, of the people of Israel. It's a Jesus who has kind of called them away from their communities. You know, I, I talk in the book about, we have these seventh century conversion liturgies where, uh, you know, if a, if a Jew wanted to become a Christian, they had to officially renounce any ongoing connection with Jewish community, Jewish family, Jewish practices. And oftentimes these conversions were accompanied by the public eating of pork, which is, you know, which is very offensive given the Jewish dietary laws that are biblical. So, so I think, I think it matters a lot how we understand Jesus and whether or not we comprehend the significance of his Jewish identity and his embeddedness within God's ongoing covenant with the people of Israel. I want to come back before we finish to talk about one or two other things that you mentioned in your book, which fascinated me, Jewish understandings of the Sabbath and mm-hmm. the significance of Pentecost. But before we do that, can we just insert another personal question, please, if I may? Sure. What, what prompted your desire to visit Israel and how did you meet your husband? Mm, yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I, I sort of described that once I was in my doctoral program at Fuller Seminary, this was a season where I was really trying to put together the pieces in my own identity. And I was pressing more deeply into Judaism after having been a follower of Jesus for a number of years at that point. And I started attending a Messianic Jewish congregation and I started observing the Sabbath in a way that I had never done. My family wasn't very observant, you know, in terms of Jewish practice growing up. And I began to have a sense that, you know, understanding and connecting with the land of Israel was, it's a big, it's a huge part. It's a central piece of Jewish identity throughout the centuries. And I began to have the sense that that was part of my journey that I needed to go be in this place, this, this, this promised land of the Jewish people. And so I went for the first time in 2007, um, with a, with a Jewish group and it was just incredible. It was a really, it was a really remarkable experience. And, and, you know, there's, there's no place on earth quite like Israel. And, and of course it's very fraught with political tensions and violence and, and conflict, um, which, which runs very deep, but, but there's something so significant about it. And there's something for me, it was like a new, a new layer of my own self-understanding and the understanding of my people, my people, the people of Israel to be in the land of Israel. Um, so my first trip was in 2007. And then I was back for a month um, studying in the summer of 2009. And then I went back for the third time in the summer of 2012, at which point I was set up by a friend of mine who lives in Israel with, um, with a man named Yonah, who um, was American, but had, had made Aliyah, which is the term for Jews moving to the land of Israel um, about 10 years earlier. And so we were just set up on like a blind date. And, and I met him just a few days before I was scheduled to fly out. And we, we, 
we come from very different backgrounds and very different families of origin, but we had a connection. There was something, it was very clear that there was, that there was, you know, this connection between us and some really shared values and, and perspectives. And so he asked me to extend my stay, which I was only able to do for like a handful of days, but that was it. That was sort of all it took for us to realize like, yeah, let's give this a shot. And so then we ended up dating long distance for a year and getting married and then spent the beginning part of our, of our marriage in Israel. And then uh, decided to move to Israel. Mm -hmm. If Mm -hmm. I remember rightly from reading your book and then left Israel again. Yes. That was the unexpected part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My husband, Mm -hmm. um, his whole family, he grew up in a very Zionistic family where the vision and the dream was always to be in Israel. So my husband was actually the first one in his family to move to Israel. And then his parents followed and his brother and sister-in-law and their children followed. And so by that point, by the time I met him, most of his family was in Israel and he was very committed to living there. And it was, it was sort of the understanding that we would spend our lives living there. And what I get into a little bit in the book is um, just some of the reasons that that I, I, I uh, again, for, for a handful of reasons, I just began to come unraveled in Israel. We spent the first two years of our marriage there and there were just certain aspects of our lives that I was just sort of sinking in. And so very unexpectedly, we ended up relocating back to the States. And, you know, there's sort of a big question mark as to how long we're here for, will we end up back in Israel? And we're just, we're just kind of taking it day by day at this point. We can do, isn't it? Mm-hmm. How can, how can Christians come to understand the richness of Passover and Yom Kippur? What can we learn from those traditions? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there, you know, there's a chapter on the book talking about just that. Uh, and again, I think this is one of the places where we see this, this artificial and very political separation between Judaism and Christianity and the way that it impoverishes our understanding of, uh, you know, of Easter in this case. So Easter, you know, as I mentioned at, at, at the Council of Nicaea in 325, Easter is forever decoupled from Passover, which means that at this point, it's just a mere calendrical accident if the two happen to coincide. And yet I think understanding the richness of the Passover story and the Exodus story coupled with, as I, as I describe in the book, this understanding of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement in Judaism, this most solemn day, um, I think it's drawing together the themes of those that really gives us a lens through which to fully understand, you know, the death and, 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 and also the resurrection of, of, of Messiah. And it's a great example sort of this concrete example of what we were talking about earlier, which is the way in which understanding the Jewishness of Jesus, this Jewish context of the new Testament, um, seeing that story playing out within the story of God's covenant people of Israel um, and these really profound themes of life and death that sort of stand right beside each other in both Passover and Yom Kippur. And I think a lot of times get, again, this sort of artificial separation between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, which can leave us with the, un- with, with the feeling that somehow there's something wrong with us if we still struggle with the way that death and trauma and, you know, the, these painful experiences that we carry around that is somehow unchristian to, to sort of feel those deeply. And thankfully, there's a there's a, a lot of good scholarship on this out there. But um, I, I I try to point to the ways in which pressing deeper into this Jewish narrative can help us really embrace those tensions that 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 permeate our lives, that permeate you know the life of faith, that permeate the Christian calendar. Uh, I think there's a lot that can be gained again from from trying to thread back together these 
these pieces that have been torn apart mm. over the centuries. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Rito, final thoughts, comments, questions for Jennifer as we close? Uh, just in, in thinking about the, the people that, that I kind of minister to, that they, you know, for them, they're usually kind of white Western kind of people. That, but the thing that, you know, and that we, <laughs> yeah, the thing that we've picked up on, which I think is really important, is that I often hear people say, oh, I'm a New Testament Christian. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there's no, but and there's just no kind of concept of that. The, the stories kind of work together. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and kind of no thought that oh, Jesus was a Jewish person. Let's think deeply about that and what that actually means for for me mm-hmm. as a Gentile. You know, kind of that he is the fulfillment of someone else's story that I'm mm-hmm. kind of a part of. Like, and it's just to me, like when people say that, I just kind of shake my head and kind of, mm-hmm. kind of like, oh mm-hmm. man, you're just missing out on such richness of what. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ability just to learn and the depth of, of God, what God is doing and his story for, for mm-hmm. you know, for humanity, for humanity as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. fascinating book. And thank you, Jennifer. Jennifer and uh, the book is Jennifer Rosner and the book is called Finding Messiah, A Journey into the Jewishness of the Gospel. And it's published by IVP InterVarsity Press in the States. Jennifer and Rito, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's very nice to be with you. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.